Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all tech topics of smart home, home automation, security, and console gaming related. Today is Thursday, December 31st, 2020. Goodbye, 2020. That's all I can say. I generally don't get sentimental about you know uh, the year that's going out, but I am very... I am so anxious to get rid of 2020, yes. like like most of the world is. And I'm going to probably get some additional uh, support with that statement. Um, on today's uh, podcast, which is the New Year's Eve edition, I want to discuss the big hits and misses in the consumer technology space during this cra- crazy pandemic year that was 2020. And for that, I've got three esteemed journalists who you've heard from uh, before. That is John Quain, Rob Pegarero, and Stuart Walpin. Guys, introduce yourselves. How are you? Hi everybody. Hi. I am not. I'm not going. I'm not going to go after Rob quite yet uh, because of the, the Washington football team. Because he's promised me that they will lose, so the Giants can win on Sunday and win the NFC East with the. I think. I believe we're just going to say that. I think the the worst team ever to win a division title. It's either going to be the Redskins or the or the. Well, it could be the Cowboys. I guess if Washington loses and the Giants lose. But they're all three teams have horrific records, and it's just a horror show to be an NFC East fan right now. But uh, but let me start with Stuart. Stuart, how 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 have your holidays been so far? Uh, well, only only half of my family celebrates the holiday. This is um, ho- as a freelancer for years. The holidays were simply a great day to get work done because you knew nobody was going to call you. <laughs> <laughs> but. Hey, but CES is coming along, and I'm sure you've been copied on all those virtual CES sessions. Well, so, I work uh, for the, I write for the show daily, so I, oh, there you go. I am, I am really busy writing preview stories for the show daily. Yes, John, how's your holidays been so far? Uh, good, uh, you know, ensconced in in New York, so there's lots still going on. So uh, even though people aren't supposed to travel, apparently they've traveled to New York City, uh, so there are a lot of people around. I'm kind of waiting for people to go back to work and empty out the streets again. But uh, no, it's been good. You know, I can't complain. We've only had one snowstorm, so we're doing okay. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. And let me uh, uh, let me summarize by going to my friend Rob. We won't talk about the, the Redskins. We can. Well, oh my God! I, I said the name. I said the Redskins. I know. W F B. I'm or be, Washington uh, team football. My, my podcast will be canceled by some body. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. But Rob, how are your holidays been? And uh, is everyone saying well? I mean, I it's been weird because this is the first time I've spent Christmas uh, in my own home since uh, like high school. Uh, you know, we did have plans to travel. We canceled those. Like, like I hope a lot of people listening to this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I will admit not having to worry about travel and logistics and whatnot made things nicer um but yeah it's definitely a holiday season where there's like no socializing with people is weird it's hard it really is hard well let's hope that when we do this podcast next year which we will do uh that we're all calling from a different place and we're not calling from our virtual locations or from um but from places that we'd like to travel this is the first time in 13 years i haven't gone back to the east coast to see my family you know, for a whole bunch of different reasons. So, but, you know, 2020 was a kind of a crazy year, both good and bad from a technology standpoint. But uh, let me begin with John. So John, let's talk about it from a, well, I want you to kind of opine on what, you know, of the, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you a chance to give a couple of examples, but what was your, uh, 
view of a, a, a technology hit, something that was positive, something that was, um, you know, that frankly, from a from a from a from a moving the needle standpoint, really moved the consumer tech space forward. Any any thoughts on that? Gosh, I mean, it it was a little bit of a stagnant year in that way. You know, it's it's hard to pick out some novel product or novel thing that came along, except for what we're doing right now, right? Zoom just took over a space that by all rights should have been owned by Microsoft, right? They had Skype, completely squandered Skype in meetings. Nobody really took it seriously. Um, Google Microsoft, could have had my, a really my, good my, handle on my, By the way, they had Microsoft Teams and Teams didn't come out during the, during the pandemic. They had a, a solution called Teams, yeah. Right, but I mean, they've had Skype for years and, uh, mm. and really done that not much with it. And Zoom just came along and just took over, just ate the space. It's all over, but the shouting, right? Um, and that that's sort of a technology. I liked video conferencing for 15 years or more. Nobody else seemed to, but now they're forced to use it. So now, now it's come on really strong. So so that was that was pretty good. I mean, the, there were a lot of other items, like we talked about things that just went off the shelves right away. And I don't, you know, there were like the toilet paper, digital toilet paper. Uh, but the one thing <laughs> I know- Webcam, I had to wait uh, like six months to, for it to come back into stock. <laughs> Webcams, I've got a microphone, um, trainers for bikes to hook up to your bicycle, treadmills, all those went off the shelves. But the, the rise of the e-bike for me is the other technology that's sort of come on strong because now yes. people realized, right, I do want to get to the grocery store someplace, but I don't want to get on the bus and I don't think I'm going to get in that Uber either. So so all of a sudden, a lot more cyclists around and, and e-bikes uh, a technology and it has improved and the prices really came down this year. After well, no, I was, I was about to point that out. out. It's yeah, e you know, e-bikes as a category, you know, of course, has been around for several years, but I, I agree with you 100%. And the pricing has come down dramatically. I mean, you know, there used to be a time when a good e-bike was, you know, 2,500 bucks or more. And now they're, they're well under that, you know, depending on the brand you want and what, what, what you're looking for. But um, I agree with you that that has been a category that really did get a kick in the pants uh, with the pandemic. Has um, anybody rolled out uh, e-bikes alongside the regular uh, bike share? Who did? Uh, City bike, where you're at? Yes, they have. Them too, yeah. yeah, the Capital yeah. Bike Share. They, they had one boss roll out. Rolled them out again, and yeah, there, there's certain hills around this area that you don't want to bike up on a regular bike share bike. But with the electric assist one, it's like the hand of God is pushing you up the hill. <laughs> so it really made a difference. Do you also want to know the misses? Because I think there are more misses. No, no, no. no. We, we we will come back because that could take four hours, and I don't want to. I don't want to take that. Okay. So, you know, so you think it was the the the, uh, the, uh, the rise of Zoom and their you know their ability really to you know create position themselves as a major player, but uh, and let me tell you this up yeah. though. Do you think Zoom's success and they have had tremendous success over the last uh, eight or nine months? Issues because they did it. You know, you know there there was a thing called you know a Zoom bombing. That wasn't a thing until the pandemic kind of rolled around. So what's your thoughts on Zoom is in terms of, uh, to a degree, but to, to a significant degree, yes, you Stuart, go ahead. Sorry, I, you're, you're cutting in and out. So I wasn't sure if, if you were speaking out to me. 
We were talking about how video conferencing is working so well now, right? <laughs> <We're doing laughs> I want to expand a little bit upon what John said. I think the year in Zoom certainly, I think, is the big story. But I think on a much larger uh, overarching scale, this has been the year that connectivity has come into sharper focus, both as a hit and as a miss, because Zoom is simply one function of the new work at work from home phenomena. So mm -hmm. also you have kids schooling from home. Um, you have the rise of 5G. Um, there are suddenly people now stuck at home, suddenly streaming platforms, Apple TV+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Peacock, all in the last three or four months. So suddenly connectivity, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi have all sprung to the top and has become far more important. And I think what has gone to a slight degree because it's, it's usually, you know, infrastructure, but we've seen a lot more nationwide um, uh, cable outfits increasing the level of service that they're providing. A lot more people are now providing gigabit service through their cable. But it's mm -hmm. also revealing the digital, a growing digital divide because you have a lot of rural areas that can, can't get those kind of speeds. And if they can, they cost an enormous amount of money. And in the inner cities, you find these, you, you know, the, the, the fruit and vegetable desert, you have connectivity deserts where people simply either can't afford or the infrastructure isn't in place in a lot of inner cities which is now being, it's sort of like a, um, an island that is floating, that the water level has gone to, to reveal that all of a sudden kids who are now staying home and trying to learn from school don't have the infrastructure to connect to these virtual classrooms. So I think connectivity has become a huge story this year that I think is underlying almost everything else that has happened in, in COVID-related technology. And, and Stuart, I wouldn't disagree with that, but I, I don't. I would have to say I would take exception to the five G component, and I want to. I want Rob to respond to this. I, I have thoughts on that too. Yeah, because you know, five G. I, I agree with you. Connectivity, you know, was a major, major thing this year for all the reasons that you outlined. But personally, from a five G standpoint, I was one of the guys that went on and bought a uh, the new twelve when it came out, and I have, and I live in the Bay Area. You know, I live in San Jose. You know, I, you know I, I go up to San, well, I used to go up to San Francisco every once in a while, but there, I have yet to be able to get a true 5G signal. You know, so I've got this $1,200 phone, which I love, great camera. You know, I'm, I'm not going to turn this into an iPhone 12 review, Max review. But, you know, for me to, to, to experience 5G, and I think Rob will laugh at this, I probably have to go into some obscure part of San Francisco, stand on a garbage can in a supermarket and point my phone up in the air and I might be able to get a 5G Talk signal. millimeter wave 5G, yeah. that is not yes. too yeah. far from the truth. <laughs> yes, no, it's not an exaggeration. It is not an exaggeration. So 5G has not changed my life yet, you know? So well, not. The, reason, the reason that I think that 5G is important is somewhat on a trade level and somewhat on a future level. On a trade mm -hmm. level, every carrier has been marketing it and it has been able to spark two things. One, it has sparked a sort of a faster than we would have assumed recovery in the handset market. Handset sales have recovered quite dramatically in the in the second half of 2020, and the iPhone 12 is expected to sell the yes, four models. Those to sell great. about 90 million units for for the fourth quarter. 
That's the first thing. The second thing is millimeter wave was never conceived to be a day-to-day -day connectivity standard. You will start to see millimeter wave connectivity in industrial and public settings for specific types of connectivity situations, whether it's in, for instance, Verizon has this deal with all the NFL stadiums that are not being filled. So you're going to see a lot more adoption of millimeter wave technology in enclosed spaces where the, um, the range issue is not an issue and used for very specialized purposes. So 5G is not something that the regular consumer is going, oh, look how fast my phone is. It is driving sales of handsets that allow, allow the industry to recover to a certain extent. And it's a future technology because you have to remember that 5G is not only about cell phones. It's about autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles cannot exist without 5G connectivity being- I, I cannot agree with you there. If yeah, autonomous cars either. need 5G, they're never going to happen. No. You, they have to be able to operate offline. No. Otherwise, I didn't say they would, but it's the collective intelligence that will fuel the sort of the safety issues, the the Borg-like intelligence. I'm not saying that they won't operate without it, but the infrastructure is necessary to fuel the technologies and the intelligence of the individual order. They don't have to be connected all the time, but the shared intelligence, whether it's vehicle to vehicle, whether it's vehicle to, to human, whether it's um, whatever those connectivity issues are, the cars don't need to be connected all the time, but they need to be accessible in order for all of them to learn everything at the same time in order for the, in order for the intelligence of the individual vehicles to grow. But Stuart, I want to go back to one thing you just said a few minutes ago is that, well, maybe a millimeter wave wasn't message. Well, first of all, I, I would take exception to the fact that I think the carriers have gone out of their way to create this perception with most consumers. Oh, that, you're right about that. that, that multi it's going to be ubiquitous. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it's hard to thread the needle when, you know, from a marketing messaging standpoint, when you mm -hmm. start to say, well, yeah, it's, it's going to be great, but for these narrow applications. Right. So I can tell you for a fact, that most consumers absolutely believe that 5G is going to be millimeter wave everywhere, which obviously is not true right I, now. Oh, I that, Now I do, uh, and I will say one thing: Apple has absolutely capitalized on the uh, this um, resuscitation of the high-end smartphone market. There was some data the other day; I think it was yesterday. Um, nine out of the ten top uh, phones that I was activated that. on Christmas were iPhones. iPhones. We were, uh, we were, uh, were 5G phones. So, I mean, that underscores your point. <laughs> That you know, future proofing, and I like to think that most people, you know, um, understand. Well, after they get the phone, they'll certainly understand it. That they can't get those kind of five G speeds. But I want to get Robin here because like, Rob, you follow this 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 space very closely. So, what are your thoughts on this whole five G deal in terms of was it was it the big hit? You know, it, it was not. I mean, a lot of people bought five G phones, and hopefully, they're happy for the with their purchases because of the things on them. Separate from that. Uh, millimeter wave, I've spent a lot of time testing it. Like here, I've got a handful of 5G hotspots I'm trying out. This is uh, the T-Mobile one, this is the Verizon one. And trying to find a millimeter wave signal, Verizon has a very detailed coverage map and the actual number of places I've been able to get this particular brick to pick up that millimeter wave signal is such a small pinprick of these little outlined areas on their map. It's really frustrating and it's just not worth it. Uh, T-Mobile actually has a good 5G story because of the mid-band frequencies they picked up when they bought Sprint. 
Uh, and that I've been able to clock. This thing can, has exceeded 200 megs down, which is more than enough speed for most people. You know, it's more, that's a faster connection than I have at home right now. Uh, and that having 200 megs or even hundred megs, most of the area matters a lot more than having gigabit speeds on this one little patch of sidewalk. And it's always outdoors, right? You know, 5G millimeter wave does not, has trouble passing through trees, let alone structures. Right. Now, so, I think so, 5G will get better as mm-hmm. AT&T and Verizon, they've, they're, they've either uh, licensed or bidding to license a lot more mid-band spectrum of their own, which, mm-hmm. would get, which will get them out of this box they're in right now, where on the one hand, they have millimeter wave, super fast, available nowhere, and then their low-band 5G is often slower than their 4G. Mm-hmm. Which makes you wonder why do you want to spend like five hundred dollars on this hotspot when their hundred dollar hotspot uh, is going to outperform it. So uh, and that's so, an issue. So Rob, so if five G in your book was not the hit, you know, in the way maybe it was defined um, by the, the the market and the media, um, what would you say was a hit? I would say where technology has done best, it's in giving us ways to connect, to stay connected, whether it's apps like this or FaceTime or Skype, all of which were around before, but we've never leaned on these apps like this before. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the same time, it's also exposed things that don't work so well, like remote schooling has not been good. You know, I I hope her kid is learning, but there's no way she's (laughs) learning at the rate she would, especially in her fifth grade actual classroom. Uh, And, you know, the reports have come out of a lot of students around the DC area who have been stuck at home learning or in pods or whatever, you're getting a lot of Fs. So the, the fundamental task of a school system just doesn't work without that in-person learning. That's a problem. And of course, you know, all the virtual conferences and video chats and whatever are, are not a great substitute for actually meeting people and right. getting out of your house. Right. Well, and you know what I'll add to that too, is that, um, you know, from my perspective, what, what I like to tell people is, is everybody is has got cabin fever. We all want to get out, and God knows we all want to get on the other side of the of the uh, pandemic. Can you imagine what life would have been like in the last ten months if we did not have these tools? If we didn't have, and I'm, this is not, by the way, I'm not apologizing for Amazon, but if you didn't have um, services like Amazon, you know, I got to be honest with you. I think there would be civil unrest in the streets. I really do believe that a lot of this technology has kept people kind of lined up, you know, and now I think we're running out of patience. And I think we're seeing that there's examples of that all over the place, but I agree with you. I think this has been the year of, of people doing video conferencing that never did. I mean, I just did a video conference call on Christmas day with my family. Most of the people on that call, including my mother, who's 86 and others who were, you know, uh, in their uh, late seventies, early eighties had never done a podcast, a video conference call uh, before the pandemic, but now it's become a routine thing, you know? So I, I you know, I think that it, it has been the rise of connectivity. It's been the rise of these easy to use tools that have come together that have made the pandemic a lot, um, you know, a lot more manageable, you know? So, but let's, yeah. uh, let's talk about another technology hit, hopefully that we can agree on, but maybe we can, maybe that we're that ornery as, you know, as we, you know, head into the new year that we, we, we can, but John, do you have another technology hit? It's got to be well, one. I mean, they, can't, they can't all be misses. It's got to be right. <laughs> you did kind of bring up one there that uh, is more like a, a general one, which is the public infrastructure versus the uh, private sector in infrastructure. Like, 
the DMV in New York State trying to get, you know, my driver's license renewed, it's a total fail. It's so old and antediluvian. They just, they can't figure out whether I have a commercial driver's license. They can't renew it. They want you to come in, but they don't want you to come in. Whereas Amazon just stepped into the breach. And all of a sudden, remember, talk about scalability. You know, in enterprise, we talk about scalability. Can you scale? Holy cow, did that company scale, right? All of a sudden from like, zero to 50 in a matter of days. And here in New York, no glitches. I mean, packages are arriving like that, right? And just unbelievable advances that they managed to step into. But our own government, try and find out where you're supposed to get the vaccine. I right. dare you. Right. Right. Yeah. You can't do it, right? You can't do it online. A total failures on most of it. And it revealed, as Rob said about schools, it's because they paid no attention to their online systems. Mm -hmm. So they have McGraw-Hill and these companies do have these sort of big, expensive, integrated systems that teachers were supposed to use, but they didn't design them to do anything like this online. So they're right. so far behind. It really did expose the fact that no money has been spent on them. And then there's all the hacking, you know, oh, we'll use tokens. They're secure, says Microsoft. And all of a sudden we're discovering, uh, Never Maybe mind. Not. They're into yeah. everything. So, right. yeah. So uh, that that's working. So the the private sector infrastructure has been amazing. You know, cloud services, unbelievable. The fact that they didn't fail more, and that the fact that they stepped in and took on all this extra data and information and uh, logistics is just incredible. I think that's that's a definite win. Absolutely. You know, no question about it. But if we didn't have that. I would have read more books. I was going to read more books during the pandemic. What's a book? I don't know what a book is. That's like a record. What's a record? What's a, re what's a record? I'll turn on my virtual background. You'll see books. Yeah, yes, you will. And, and please don't because I don't want to scare the audience. Please do not turn that background off, Stuart. Uh, Stuart, another um, hit from your perspective. Um, under another one that's sort of under the radar, but it's come alive because of the Zoom universe is true wireless earbuds. Um, it's really shocking how quick this took off. I mean, you're wearing Bluetooth headphones, but when and there were a couple of blue um, true wireless buds, and then Air, and then Apple stepped in with the uh, AirPods. And all of a sudden, the market blew up. And then for a while there, they were $200. They were $300. But I just did a piece on sub $50 or sub $100 true wireless buds. And a lot of them were $49, bucks, 59 And they're, I I agree. they're audiophile, but they're, they're surprisingly good. I, I just wrote a piece in Forbes on the new creative outlier V2s which I think are $59 or $69. Right. And they are very, very good. You right. know? And by the way, if you lose them, you don't really care. care. You know? right. now, I, now, I don't know if you guys noticed, what am I wearing? You're wearing the, the, um, the Apple new um, AirPod. $550. No, thank you. Yeah, well, and my, and my head is about to fall down because of the price. Now, I will tell you, <laughs> these are superb. Right. These are the best but, headphones. And I ha I've had the Bose um, 700s. Um, I, what, what's that, the John? Which but they're not going to. Okay. You know, these are the I, I, mean, I mean, they are superb. They're not saying but you know, but I don't know if I want. I would want to take. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to recommend to a person take your six hundred dollars stimulus check and go out and blow it on a pair of these. And by the way, only Apple has the uh, Cagnonis 
to charge $45 for a lightning to audio cable that's not included in the box. You got to respect that. <laughs> you know, so to me, that's both a hit and that Apple did prove they can play in the game. The average street price of over the head earphones at, re at retail is $240. These are $549. So only right. Apple could enter a market, you know, with something that's 2x the ASP of the average. And by the way, the average ones are, are actually pretty good. You know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I was saying. And it's funny that you should say that because Apple, we're going back, not back to 5G necessarily, but to cell phone. You can't get off that in, topic. You cannot get in off the, that in topic. In the cell phone, <laughs> this, well, this, is, uh, this is another hint. There's this great new generation of non-Apple cell phones, and even maybe a couple of Apple ones, but mostly non-Apple cell phones that are now these budget premium phones, both Qualcomm and uh, MediaTek, as well as the other chip makers have been producing these, what they call mid-range 5G chips that has enabled a lot of the Chinese cell phone makers to bring in 5G cell phones for $300 or less. And they are fully featured phones. They simply aren't made of solid stainless steel or whatever. But they're, it, that is another thing that has been driving better than expected um, hardware um, handset sales because you can buy a 5G phone, even though you can't, may or may not be able to get it. But you can buy a brand new cell phone with a great camera and all these other capabilities for less than $300. And right. a lot of companies have now been driven from the premium space. There are these rumors, for instance, that Samsung is going to discontinue the Note series. The last generation of the Note, the Note 20, did not sell well. And so Apple has seemed to be the only one who could sell a premium phone anymore. And almost all the other phone makers have gone down to produce these budget premiums, including Apple. The SE, you mentioned that number one, uh, the top phones activated over Christmas. Two of them were the iPhone 11, which is not 5G, and the SC, which was one of the best-selling phones of the year last year. Right, right. Rob, your uh, your suggestion for another hit. Uh, so, again, this is sort of a mixed bag. We were talking about broadband. For quite a few months, all the major ISPs showed that they actually didn't have to have data caps, that their systems could hold up under unprecedented yes. demand and keep people connected, and then they almost all reimposed them. And, right. and Comcast, which <laughs> never seems to miss an opportunity to look as evil as possible, decided just like a month ago <laughs> to expand the data cap to the rest of its markets, including ones where it has direct competition from Verizon Fios, which doesn't have a data cap. Right. You know, it makes me want to like, Comcast, stop hitting yourself. <laughs> right. It really works. I promise. <laughs> um, so, yeah. You know, all these companies had shown they didn't need this and they could have just taken the win, you know, that they can't make that much money from these things. But, you know, you, you, you just got to go, go ahead and look evil anyways. Well, and you mentioned Comcast. What's kind of funny, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a Comcast guy because I don't have any choices. You know, you think yeah. in Silicon Valley you'd have choices, but you have, at least in my part of San Jose, you don't have really that many choices beyond. Uh, I got an email from them yesterday saying that they're giving me some type of, um, uh, COVID-19 pandemic discount, you know, and I just saw the header on the email. I didn't until, you know, one of those emails said, okay, I'll read it later. So I read it last night. The, the, the refund that they're giving me is like $3.14. Oh, so I'm going to so, right. yeah, so go out and celebrate the fact that I'm swimming in uh, a refund, a COVID-19 related refund from Comcast. Uh, the topic I want to get all of you three guys to respond to 
and I hate to bring that name up, but I have to because they are the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Apple did have an interesting year, you know, and not just because of the AirPod Maxes and like, hey, we can sell $550 headphones. But, you know, to, for me, their big deal is that, you know, the M1 introduction is going to have tremendous strategic um, implications down the road. I mean, if you recall, and I know all three of you do, when they made that transition from PowerPC to Intel 10 years ago, it was it was relatively smooth, but it had issues. If you went, you know, if you had a lot of software that you ran on a PowerPC, the original version of Rosetta, you know, the, the, the it was a bit of a hit and miss type of thing, and you did struggle. I can tell you from my experience, not only is the performance been great, you know, and again, you can get into a whole discussion about benchmarks. Is the M1 better than Intel processors? And you know, that's a that's a four-hour podcast. But I will tell you that from an application compatibility standpoint. I really haven't had any hiccups. I've had a couple of applications that are pretty niche that, you know, my, 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 I don't regret the product decision, but this is going to have incredible implications because if I told you 10 years ago that Intel would be making its own chips for its desktops and, uh, and for its um, laptop computers, you would have laughed at me. You would have said, why would they want to do that? You know, and then, and keep in mind now, now there's revelations, Microsoft, maybe going down a, fa a, a fabulous path and might be developing their own ASICs, you know, for their own products. Um, and I got to tell you something, that this validation of the fabulous uh, model in terms of being able to develop processes without having this big expensive um, foundry uh, or foundries that Intel would talk about for years. Hey, the reason why you do business with us is because you can count on us or executions beyond belief. Only us, we can get to these smaller die sizes and smaller designs because of the know-how we have and fabulous design. That has completely changed. So I want you to react to, the, to that. And it's a bit of an esoteric technical thing, but I think it's going to have enormous implications over the next uh, decade. So let me, let me, Rob, you're nodding in agreement. So I, I, I want yeah, to get you. I mean, this is one where I'm, I'm old enough to remember not just the PowerPC to Intel transition, but the 68030, to PowerPC transition back in the oh, 90s. Boy. You and don't look like you're, eight, you're, you look like you're 80 years old, but that's okay. <laughs> Some of those careers <laughs> date to that. You would have expected that this switch to be much messier. And like the worst critiques I've read, you know, your colleague Patrick Moorhead pointed out some compatibility issues with older yes. apps, some of which have already been updated to run on Apple Silicon. Um, and oh, and, and by the way, let me interrupt you. Let me, let me let me interrupt you on that one thing because you yeah. brought up uh, Pat's name. He wrote a piece on this. It was a terrifically well-written piece. You know, it was very balanced, and it pointed out that hey, if you you know you know it was kind of what the a bit of the, what the buyer beware. If you're going to do this, make sure yeah. whatever applications you're using work. And there are websites out there that will tell you. If he got that that, and I haven't checked, but that article was read 150,000 times. And if you look look at some of the blowback he got from the Apple aficionados, wrote an entire blog post to complain about what a bad human being that Morehead is. I, it was over the top. I mean, and that's more like maybe a statement on social media that you could go attack someone because they're yeah. they're telling the truth. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a, a slam job at Apple that piece. I mean, that was a very well balanced piece. You know, and speaking for myself, you know, uh, I'm probably the most pro Apple within the entire company. You know, uh, only because I, I, I've um, you know been using Apple products for years, and you know, there, hey, Rob, you and I have talked about this for you know, there's pluses for using yeah. Apple products, and there's downsides to being in the Apple ecosystem. But it was extraordinary to me how he how uh, he was. They went after him. The, the, the social media crowd went after him purely because he said, "Hey, listen, this is a perspective you might, might want to consider." So that's all I wanted to say, uh, yeah. Rob, on that on that topic. 
So anyways, like reading reviews about how great the battery life is on the new MacBooks running with Apple Silicon, how, you know, the, the performance is so great. And it makes me feel a little torn. Like I need to replace this laptop to my right at some point. And I really like the fact that on a Windows laptop, there's a touch screen. You can fold it into a tablet or, you know, fold it into a 10 mode. So you can actually watch a movie on a plane whenever we get around to doing that again. Um, <laughs> Uh, but on the other hand, it seems that buying a laptop with an Intel chip inside it is is going to give me kind of a second class experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I hope Microsoft is seriously working at this because if Intel can't do the job that computer manufacturers hired them to do, then yes, they should turn somewhere else. And if, you know, everyone adopting ARM chips and manufacturing their own, that's probably healthier for the industry anyways than having one single supply, well, Intel and AMD, one architecture that everyone uses and is basically controlled by a single company. So I well, think that's the and, and, and what I want to get Stuart and, and John to respond to is that, to me, what this announcement kind of articulated and what it validated was the, um, the, the belief that Jobs had articulated many years ago that they had the best possible user experience. You have to, you have, to have a company who controls the software and the hardware. And they've always done that for years, but now that they've got um, the, the ASIC, they can do a level of integration from a performance optimization standpoint that Microsoft simply can't do if they're working with um, other ASICs. Now, they might argue that to a degree, but the fact of the matter is when you work in an OEM model where you have a Dell, you have a Lenovo, you have an HP, I mean, unless you're gonna offer, Microsoft is gonna say, we're gonna work with Intel and optimize certain features that will be available for some OEMs, but not for other OEMs, because they want to invest the kind of work and development work that you need to bring those features to market. And all of a sudden, it becomes a very difficult thing to rationalize from an engineering development standpoint, and it becomes too fractured. You know, Apple did prove that when you own the entire thing, when you, you know, it's like a baseball team that owns the farm system, they own uh, this, they own that, they can put a great product on the market. You know, unless, of course, you're the um, Washington football team. That's, the, that's <laughs> But how would you respond, Stuart and John? Let me start with Stuart in terms of the whole, you know, because this was the, a big thing from a, from a development standpoint with Apple doing their own silicon. Do you have, a, do you have uh, any thoughts on that? Yes. Um, I think there are pros and cons, obviously, as there are to any technological advance, especially when they are siloed. Uh, Apple has always been a silo. They were, I remember way back in the day when they were not doing so well and the power PC was out, that the decision at Apple was to license it. There were these some of the some of these, there were some Macintosh clones that actually I owned a Mac clone. Yes. Right. Um, I, I owned one also. I, I, I owned the very first Mac. My company was not happy with me at the time. <laughs> uh, they expressly forbid me to buy it. And I went, I'm doing it anyway. Um, so I think there are repercussions. One, on the Apple side, obviously anything that you can do to improve that user experience. And when you have that supply chain all in the same place, the sum of the parts are always going to, um, what's, what's the expression? The sum of the parts in, Bigger, the hole is bigger than the sum of the hole. Right. So they can integrate all those pieces together and make the user experience much better and obviously improve better life, which is the complete antipathy to the original PC. The IBM PC was, I'll take this part from over here and this part from over here and this part from over here, and I've got an IBM clone. You know, right, so right. I mean, you, you, which was the first real big um, office breakthrough in PCs. So it's, it's a complete reversal. So the negative side of that is we may actually return to a certain extent 
I don't know that we will. I, it is a far off fear, but in the early days of PC, you had to have win, you had to have software that was specific to Dell. You had to have software that was specific to HP. Um, you had to have specific software that was specific to the IBM. And so if all of these hardware makers decide to further silo their systems, you may run into a situation, I don't say you will, but it, it, it's in the back of my, it, hairs tingling on the back of my neck that suddenly what we used to become what we used to think of as windows being this universal application we may start to see a lot more siloing as as hardware makers decide to follow apple's route and develop their own chipsets i don't think it i don't know if it will maybe it won't i it just just the trend of it is just tickling the back of my neck yeah, well, you know, that, that's going, going to be an interesting dynamic that comes out of this in terms of does it stifle innovation? Uh, I mean, there, again, don't get me wrong. I am not, a, you know, there are things that Apple does that sometimes irritates me. You know, they, they take three steps forward and sometimes they take a step and a half back with them doing oddball stuff. Like $500 headphones? You know, you said it, I won't. <laughs> John, John, your yeah. thoughts on the whole Apple Silicon thing that happened this year in terms of its, its importance and implications. I mean, it really does. I mean, there are two sort of trends about 20 years ago when the fab plants were starting to shut down and it was becoming such an expensive business and Global Foundry was coming along and buying up everything. Um, that did change the whole chip making business. So Apple mm -hmm. doesn't actually have to make any chips. They just have to come up with a lithography and a plan for them, right? So that makes it a lot easier. You and I could make a chip, make a chip, you know, um, not a big deal. The other thing is sort of the rise of AI. What's behind all this is the use of really pretty simple kind of machine learning that's spun out of how many polygons can you render? It's that, that has become what is known as AI. And the use of that, the extended use of that has made it a lot simpler to design some of this stuff. So because you're using that more and it's sort of thanks to NVIDIA, companies like that, it's like, oh, I could do that. I mean, I'm not dedicating, you know, hyper-threading, multi-threading, none of the stuff that was really complicated before we're doing so much of as more AI-backed software and development. So that's sort of... The, the, what was behind the scenes that has sort of enabled them to do that. And then, you know, I could go anywhere and get a chip made. So before the whole competition was, you know, what, what uh, nanometer am I at? Am I at 0.9? Am I at 0.8? You know, how small can I get? Um, and that doesn't seem to matter so much today. So that sort of put them in that booth. But again, how good that will, you know, turn out for Apple? It's hard to say. Um, certainly gives them more control, but, you know, since they're, will they, this enable them to innovate more, which they haven't really done for a long time, which is why people stuck with some Windows stuff. If I have to have the latest and greatest technology, I go elsewhere, really. Yeah. Well, that, that's why Stuart's waiting for the Apple Car to come out, the famed Apple Car <laughs> in 2021. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the three or four minutes we have left here, just one prediction yeah. for, uh, and this is always dangerous, Non-sports prediction. Uh, <laughs> what, what's what, any, um, a, your single prediction for 2021? Uh, it's not going to be a great year if you work in public policy for Google, Facebook, Apple, or Amazon. <laughs> After years and years of people in Washington, D.C. and state capitals saying these companies are great, they're awesome, 
you have attention, bipartisan attention, uh, into how these companies have acted, how they've built quasi-monopolies, how they've defended them, possibly in illegal ways. Uh, some of the allegations out there, uh, you know, the, the lawsuit brought by a bunch of Republican state attorney generals, led by Texas of all places, right. alleges serious misconduct by Google, including outright collusion with Facebook to control yes. the market for display ads. Um, and I think that's good. We do actually need rules for the market to work. Uh, <laughs> we shouldn't have taken us this long. So um, this won't be a quick story to play out, but it'll be an interesting one to watch. No, I agree with you. And, and the, the danger that all those companies are in is for different reasons. You've got folks on the left and folks on the right that are kind of ganging up. You know, it's not one side or the other that's, eh, we'll just leave them alone. Everybody I mean, Google. Yes, yeah. they're, they're, they're the, the company that, that, that's easy to hate, unfortunately, and, and, and they, haven't made it, they haven't made it a lot easier. Um, Stuart, prediction for 2021. I don't know that I have any predictions, because as we all know that, that profiteering is not, I was just reading a story on Politico about the, the, the awful predictions that were made at the beginning of 2020. I read that one. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I am not, I do not want to become a, a, a meme on December 31st, 2021. But mm -hmm. I, but I, I, I agree with Rob wholeheartedly and the breakup of Standard Oil and the breakup of AT&T are going to start my prediction. We're going to hear a lot more about those as well as the attempt at, at breaking up Microsoft as we move forward. So I think um, we're going to hear a lot about Kennesaw Mountain Landis and Judge, and Judge Green um, as we move forward. But I think a lot of this is going to depend upon who president-elect Biden appoints as his FCC chair. Yes, um, yes. I think a huge amount of, of so much policy now rests in the FCC. And I, I, I don't know that I want to predict this necessarily, but I would hope that in addition to obviously appointing a middle-of-the-road person for the FCC who is in two one way or two the other way, but I think that in addition to the climate czar that he has appointed and the COVID czar, that he that there be a cabinet level technology uh, secretary. Right. I think in the era that we live in, the law constantly runs 10 years behind the technologies. For instance, the um, communicate, Telecommunications Act of 1996 doesn't even mention the internet. Mm -hmm. And so it, and so without there being some, and you, and you saw on when um, Facebook, uh, when Zuckerberg was testifying before Congress, some congressman or congressperson actually said, "Well, how do you make money?" To have to explain <laughs> this, and Zuckerberg was like, "We no, but you know, but you still, 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 I remember that explicitly when that testimony was happening." Right. And but, so I think always, we, but Congress has always been like that. I mean, no, I understand that. That's why I think we need a cabinet level position to oversee this to and cut down the amount of government idiocy when it comes to reacting to technology. I don't know who that person is. I think it's a separate thing from FCC because 
telecommunications is only a tiny slice of the technology market. And with energy, it ties into energy uses and um, societal issues, schooling issues, work. Technology has now entered, is has its tendrils into every single aspect of our lives and in every other cabinet level position. And to not have a cabinet level position to address technology needs, I think is something that is sorely needed. And mm-hmm. perhaps we, somebody will convince um, the president elect to put, create a cabinet level technology, secretary of technology. Yeah, and before we go to John for his final uh, comments on this, I think that uh, once the Google litigation starts to happen, the discovery component of the investigation is going to be of the litigation is going to be so incredibly entertaining. You're going to see emails that are going to fog up your glasses, Stuart. <laughs> in terms of how could someone write this in an email? You know, you know, when you work for a big company like I have, and you know, you guys have worked for companies, is that you know you're said put something in an email that, if it, in case it's discovered, could really be bad. And I can tell you because right. I know for, I have friends at Google. And I have friends all over the place. There's going to be emails that come out that are going to, you're going to say, oh, how can they have put that into writing? I mean, how could they have said that? Yep. John, let's end with yep. your, um, your prediction for 2021. Well, I think there will be no more, no more quibbies. Definitely <laughs> not another quibby in 2021. Uh, God, that was so bad. I mean... What a disaster from the start. But I think, you know, is how much travel, where are people going to be able to travel and how are they going to travel? And I think you'll see much more of the electrification of automotive. I know I say that every year. Oh, this is the year of the electric vehicle. But no, this this will really be the year of the electric vehicle. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to become well, I, I hope it's the year of better connectivity for your uh, connection because it, it was okay, but uh, you, I think I you know. need, who, who, who's your cable provider? Is it Comcast? Or Spectrum. Is it, Spectrum, oh Spectrum, Spectrum is awful, awful, awful. I, I am uh, to them and say, hey, listen, you know, I have a living to make and this is what you guys are doing to me because you can't get a decent um, internet connection in your house. But anyway, but listen, guys. Thank you for today's call. I, I wish you um, a great uh, new year. I hope everything is healthy. Um, Rob, I hope you, Washington does beat the, um, the, the, uh, the Eagles. We'll find on some Sunday. way to screw it up. This team is snake bit. I expect <laughs> uh, nothing of it. Well, well, we'll see. We, you know, hopefully, I don't know whether the, the Eagles don't really have anything to play for except pride. We'll see if that happens or not. But uh, thank you uh, for joining me for today's podcast. Uh, please follow more insights and strategy on our social media uh, partner uh, list. That's uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week and happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Live long and prosper. <laughs>